Hello, this is Teresa Freeman, your host of Relatable. Thank you for listening and for joining us today. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. I sit down and talk with Malachi Jackson. He is the head coach of the freshman basketball team up the street at a local high school. He talks very candidly about his journey from high school to the European National League and even some hopes of the NBA. He also talks about some of the pressures and challenges he's had both personally, academically, professionally. And he's super honest and open about, as a head coach, what does he look for when he's assessing talent? So as a young person uh, that's interested in trying out for sports teams, he has a good perspective. And I think generally throughout the interview, he's open and honest and couldn't be more real. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Malachi. Thank you so much for coming. You and I know each other through the freshman basketball team up the street, and we've had some really cool conversations. And um, I'm really excited to talk to you because I think our listeners will really benefit from both your experience as an athlete, but also your experience in life. Mm -hmm. And as a reminder, this podcast is really about helping to clear up assumptions and myths. It's helping our young adults to learn from our failures and mistakes. Yes. Um, and also to really help people and inspire people, motivate people to uh, to do better and to be better. So yeah. really excited to have you here. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, first maybe just introduce yourself and share a little bit about what you're doing now. And then um, if you would, maybe just talk a little bit about your high school experience. A lot of our listeners are high school students and so interested in just what that was journey was like for you. Okay. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Okay. So first off, my name is Malachi Jackson. I am currently the freshman head coach at Centerville High School. Um, I was born and raised in Centerville. I actually went to Centerville High School. Oh, I was, wow. uh, graduated 2006. Um, loved every bit of it. Was part of the varsity team. Um, played a little bit of football my freshman year, but it uh-huh. didn't go so well. So <laughs> I realized I was a basketball player. So yeah. I, I kept on the court. Um, and my high school experience, it was actually nice. Uh, I loved it. I was a very well-known kid. Um, I was a tall kid, but um, I didn't want to hang around the, the cool crowd. I wanted to be with everybody. Um, a lot of times I wouldn't hang out. Um, I wouldn't help out with the special ed program just because it, it's not fair that they have to go through life like that and mm-hmm. we're perfectly fine and they have to go through all these struggles. So I, uh, a lot of times I hung out with them, helped them out. Um, dapped him up or said hey what's mm-hmm. up to him every time i saw him in the hallways but i really didn't have a click i didn't want to be in a small group i wanted everybody to know me and be cool with everybody meaning the jocks and the geeks right. um so my high school experience was really nice because um i was just very well known and um i got along with everybody i tried to did you feel either um 
any strong academic or social pressure? Like, it seemed like you were pretty likable and you had a lot of friends. Just yeah, and I, I probably uh, would go back and change that because I didn't focus on my studies as well as I should have. And uh, my senior year, I really felt that when I had the opportunity to go D1, I couldn't take it because um, my grades were so low and I had to get such a high SAT score to, um, to balance it out. So... Uh, I probably wouldn't be such a social guy if uh, if I knew what it was going to end up. But um, but yeah, I mean, I liked it. Uh, I would go back and focus on studies though a lot more. Let me ask you a question about that too, because I think everybody's experience is different in terms of support. So, when you were in high school, how much support did you have, um, either from family or mentors or you know did you have anyone that was pushing you to do better okay so my uh, family experience uh, when I was the age of 10 I really had to grow up because my mother had another son mm. so uh, and she was a single mother and we were struggling before he came so when he came it was really all eyes on him and I was a big boy at the age of 10 right. so I pretty much my mother handed me a pager and a cell phone and she was wow. like here grow up uh, so I really didn't have too much pressure as far as doing homework. Uh, I was pretty grown and um, pretty, you had to be very self-reliant. Yeah, self yeah, that's pretty much what it is. And um, I wish I did have somebody in my corner telling me to focus on my homework or do my homework, but I didn't. Uh, my mother let me slide and didn't give me too much pressure or didn't spank my butt enough because I didn't get good grades. And I think and I wish she had. Yeah, because um, grades are really important. And uh, if you let them slip by, it'll hurt you in the end. And do you feel like you had the potential that you just didn't try? Yeah. yeah. Like you, it was there yeah. and you could have taken I mean, um, I do have a learning disability. I was in smaller classes in high school. Okay. Um, but that, with that being said, I gave up. Um, I, I looked at myself as dumb or stupid or slow and I didn't push myself. Um, I think I should have, I could have, but I was put into small classes and it was a little bit of embarrassing. So uh, I just didn't want to do homework, didn't want to take tests. I just didn't didn't like the aspect of me being in small classes. So I didn't push myself to get out of it. You know what's interesting, I think, about what you just described, and you had mentioned this earlier, I, I, this idea that we like how you talk to yourself like your self-talk can really drive how you perform in yeah. life and if you're telling yourself um, I'm a loser if mm -hmm. you tell yourself I'm not smart and you know all these other people have advantages that I don't if you're if you're thinking that way that's kind of the world you create yeah um, similarly like I was not an a-plus student I had surrounded myself with really smart people that all went to really great schools and I just convinced myself that I was the social fun one, but uh -huh. I wasn't cerebral enough or I wasn't intellectual enough. And that certainly is not the case. I've proved yeah. that over and over since then. But it was a long road yeah. to get back what I could have handled if I had done it during the time when everyone else is trying to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting. So if you you could go back, you would you would be more positive about and set goals maybe yeah like, did you well have I, would, any goals I would I would definitely yourself? push myself and tell myself hey you can do this yeah. you're smart you just got to go about it a different way maybe right uh, take a longer time doing your homework or just focus more on what exactly they're teaching and why um, I didn't care uh, you know uh, I was in the small classes and I looked at myself as being slow or dumb so mm. I didn't push myself um, but I wish I had 
yeah. I wish I had because after high school I was eager to learn I wanted to learn whether it was about World War two or whether it was about current situations I just wanted to know more so there's a time where you just switch and you're just like I want to learn I want to know what's what isn't that funny how it works like you it sometimes does. wish I, I think a fascinating with study and I've always been curious about this my whole life is what makes a certain student super self-motivated uh -huh. And then what makes another student struggle with that? And yeah. when, because I had a lot of friends that had dysfunctional families and they were self-reliant, maybe not to the degree that you were, but similar. I think when, when I'm a little bit older than you, but when we grew up, there was a lot more hands off. I'm the youngest of five. So, I mean, do they even know where I was half the time? No. So it was very much on me to figure it out. And then I had friends who similarly had not a lot of supervision, but they were extremely driven. Yeah. And so I I don't know what that secret sauce is. Maybe it's just timing. Yeah. Like you just mature later or you have, uh, I, I always think of myself as a late bloomer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That too. I mean, I graduated uh, uh, high school at 17 because my birthday was in September. Okay. But early on, I stopped doing homework because I was put in the LD classes at elementary school um. and I had an IEP. So once I once I got labeled that, I kind of gave up on school and work. And I wish I hadn't because it's it could be fun, but you could also learn a lot, you know, right. and they say, why do you need to learn this? But you you need to learn it. You need to know, you know, right. I mean, yeah, it's World War Two. Yeah, it's Algebra Three. But you need to know you need right. to learn to make your brain bigger, to make yourself more powerful, yourself more confident and just knowing a lot more. So I wish I went back. And yeah. No, I think it. that's, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that I can identify with it. And yeah. hopefully if people are listening, this idea that like, if you are in a special circumstance, evaluate, like take advantage of all the resources, because yeah. like you said, you could have maybe just done it in a different way, Yeah. but it still could have um, happened for you. So let's move a little bit then towards the latter part of your high school career, because you played basketball. You mentioned that you played varsity and we were just talking about this, that you got some offers. Yeah. And so what was your expectation for yourself leaving high school in terms of college and basketball? Like, what what was your frame of mind? Okay, so uh, my senior year, I knew I wasn't the best kid. Um, I only had two D1 offers. I had about 32 schools in all offering me to go to their college. A lot of them were D3 and D2 mm -hmm. schools. There were two uh, D1 offers, but I didn't have the grades. So I knew I had to go to junior college. I wasn't going to go to Nova because they didn't have a good basketball program. So I was looking at colleges, junior colleges in Maryland. And we actually have, as far as basketball-wise, we actually have really good junior colleges in the area. Huh. So I went to uh, Montgomery Community College and then Frederick Community College because uh, Montgomery lost their sport their pro their sports program. Um, as far as it being, uh, it just went to club like like Nova is club. Oh, okay. Nova has basketball, but they're just club. They're not just like a legit junior college basketball team. So um, I went to Frederick Community College and I had set goals for myself like, hey, you're not good enough to go to the NBA, but maybe you're good enough to go overseas and play professional basketball. So that was my goal. Um, like I said, I wasn't focused on grades and I should have been, but I wasn't. My goal was to get to college, play basketball, and then to go overseas and play more basketball. I wonder if you had set the goal to play D1 basketball, if that if you would have reached that goal. I think so. Like depending because, on the goal you set, right? Yeah, kind of because what I set the overseas goal and I made it, you know? Right. So it's like yeah. maybe if I had set a higher goal, maybe I would have pushed myself to make that. So I So know. tell me a little bit then about just that college experience and what, um, if you had to talk about one or two 
times that were challenging or some type of adversity that you had to overcome? Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Um, yeah. So my second year in college, uh, I was at Montgomery College and it, it got rough. Uh, my my older, my younger brother was growing up. So my mother was really, really focused on him. And uh, as far as funds wise, they had stopped. Um, so yeah. I was struggling. I yeah. was the oodles and noodles every night, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes we didn't need it all uh, other than the cafeteria during the day, you know, because um, we were on a scholarship. Everybody had a little bit of money from scholar- uh, basketball, so we could eat in the cafeteria, but that closed at like nine, you know, and we're college And kids. you're big we boys. Have, you need a lot big, of... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like so I was hungry. Athletes, yeah. <laughs> I was about six eight, about 200 oh pounds, gosh. maybe 215 or 210 or something like that. So I was a growing boy. Um, so we were hungry one night and I, I wasn't in the best area. I was in Langley Park, which is like five, 10 minutes outside of DC. Okay. Um, and it's a Hispanic filled area and I'm with my buddy and he gets the bright idea of let's go out and rob a drunk, uh, Hispanic guy. Mm. Me being hungry, me being an idiot, I agreed to do it. And we go outside and we got, we found one guy. It was like perfect setting he's drunk with a heineken bottle swaying back and forth and i'm on one side of the street my guy's on the other side and i just we were going to do it and i get this eerie feeling and i call it off and i tell him i wave it off and i tell him don't do it so we don't do it but we're still hungry we're still on the tip that we need something right so we meet up with another guy who apparently was on the same tip of robbing somebody for money um, so he sits down with the guy, uh, another guy and starts talking to him and tries to get money off of him and says, he's going to go get drugs and he'll bring it back. And obviously he wasn't going to bring the money back. We are just going to use it to go get food or whatever. Um, so about five, 10 minutes later, me and my, my, me, me and my teammate are just sitting on the bench waiting for this to happen, but it doesn't really look like it's happening. We're kind of giving up. It's getting late. Um, next thing you know, 15 cops come out of nowhere with lasers, barking dogs. They're all, um, none of the police officers in uniform. They're all undercover officers. They come out of every which direction. I just, me and my buddy get on the ground. We got a dog right here barking in our ear. Lasers was on my chest. It was the scariest moment, probably of my life, to be honest. I was, it was what I was going to ask. Just like, what are you feeling in that moment? I'm going to jail. (laughs) But, but to be honest, I was like, what do we do? for all of this, you know? So uh-huh. we're in handcuffs, they separate, they put me and my teammate together and they separate the other guy and they're talking to us and they're like, hey, we know that this guy's bad, da 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 da. They kind of make it seem like they knew exactly what was going on. They said they were watching us all night and I'm like, okay. So they were like, just give us a statement, we'll let you go. So me being never locked up, we right. go downtown and I sing like a bird. I tell them every little thing, every little detail, every like at 10.05, we did this, 10.06, we did that. I'm just singing away. So they're like, oh, you did all this. So you're going to have to come downtown with us. Yeah. So they bring me downtown uh, to give me a $750,000 bond. And I'm wow. just like, oh my God, they uh, give me armed robbery and that's like a felony. So I'm just scared out of my mind uh they lock us up they put us in this uh rockville jail called seven locks because there's like seven locked doors to get out it's holy yeah super scary relatable is sponsored by tfa soft skills your one-stop shop for workshops coaching speaking and soft skills development if you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www tfasoftskills.com for more information. 
we're and then me and my teammate are not even together. He's in the pod one. I'm in pod three, and we're talking through these big glass windows, sign languaging each other, trying to figure out what's going on, when we're gonna get out, um, how we're gonna get out. So eventually, 15 days later of this madness of not knowing when to get out, not knowing what's going on, we finally get our bond dropped to $250,000 and our charges got dropped to robbery and attempted robbery. So they were only misdemeanors. So we get out, um, we we hug each other. <laughs> we hug our yeah. moms uh, and we're just thankful for being out. And um, with all that being said, I was put on probation. Um, I, of course, I wasn't a bad guy, so it was easy to stay out of trouble after that. Um, but it definitely definitely taught me a life lesson to not hang around the bad crowd. Even if you think that you're not doing anything wrong, um, the police right. could come and grab everybody that's in the area, in the and, group. So, and I think choices, right? We were talking about this, like choices that you, you just don't know the long-term impact yeah. of what these choices and at yeah. the time you were i mean you know you're super hungry and it seems like a great idea yeah. and it seems low risk yeah yeah and then in the end you know then you're and so interesting when you're when you're admitted into jail do they not like how do you know if they're you can get an attorney or how do you talk to your parents or what what happens when yeah because so, you're above 18 right mm -hmm. you're considered an adult an yeah. adult so my mother had to hire a lawyer which cost buku money right my mother did not have so she had to scratch and claw for money from every which way yeah um but luckily enough it, it all turned out uh yeah. the judge and the lawyer agreed on if i stayed out of trouble for seven years it would be expunged from my record oh that's so it. which i did do that yeah and so, you had had no prior no, record, right? No. So they probably saw that. Yeah, and the judge saw that I was in, and, and it's very good that you stay active and stay uh, in school. Mm -hmm. He saw that I was in school. He saw that I played basketball. He saw that I was tall. He saw that I had a bright future and I had a bright past, to be honest, because I didn't have a, any record. Right. So uh, he was like, stay out of trouble for seven months. I mean, nothing. Stay out of trouble for, se no, seven years. Seven years. That I can come back and expunge it off my record, and that's what I did. Okay. So it worked out. And then after that experience, did you feel, well, where did you go next? Were you, did you go to a different school after Montgomery? Yeah, so after Montgomery College, I went to Frederick Community College up in Frederick, Maryland for two years. Okay. And it was nice. It was more so the countryside. So it was nice. Mm -hmm. It was a small town. Uh, everybody was following the basketball team. Everybody yeah. was excited. It was like a small little college town. Um, and I loved it out there. Then after that, I went to a university down in North Carolina. And that was like a big school. Uh, the whole city followed the the, the whole school, wow. the football program, the basketball program, the vault, girls volleyball. So that was a big change. Um, I was in dorms because uh, when I was at the community college, I was in apartments. Right. So now I'm in a dorm. You're having like the full of, college experience yeah, now. Yeah. And so how was that? Gym parties. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It got it got the partying. The partying up. Uh, is that where? Bit. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it was fun. Uh, it was definitely a, the full college experience uh doing viking fest because we're the vikings doing viking fest we would have big name artists come in and do concerts and ah. stuff so that was fun it was really exciting did you feel at that time like that took a while for you to get there it seemed like right mm -hmm. given yeah. the community college stint and so yeah. now you're at this big university you're playing uh what what's your your still your goal at this point is to get to overseas overseas yeah okay and so how much time between playing in north carolina to 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 leaving and going overseas how much time uh one summer 
I went wow. to a Pennsylvania combine and I won co MVP of it. Me and uh, me and this guy. Congrats. Yeah. So and that's what got me the ticket to go overseas. Wow. I went overseas with the uh, eight Americans. It was called a uh, MSAA. That was the agent, the talent agent or whatever. And um, he took us all over there. We went to Germany, Austria, and Hungary and tried out for pro A and pro B teams. And I loved it. I mean, I was experiencing it with eight Americans. So we were all going through the culture right. shock together. Right. So that was a lot easier. Um, it was a lot of fun times. It was a lot of down times. Um, so the, the, the manager that we had wasn't, he didn't have everything in order. So when we first got to Germany, the hotel and the food was paid for. But every spot after that, something wasn't paid for. And we didn't know. So like the food wasn't paid for at the next spot, but the hotel was. Or vice versa. The food was paid for, but the hotel wasn't. So we had to keep coming out of our pocket a little bit to pay for things. And that kind of got annoying because I wound up spending quite a bit of money. Did you get a contract to go do that? Like, did they set you up? Like, No, only because we were playing for contracts. Oh, yeah. okay. So I just got the... You're just um, playing for somebody to say, hey, hey we, we like want that you. Guy. Okay. But the trick was, if we beat the team, they were mad. The the overseas guys, the overseas coaches were oh mad. My gosh. They were mad that we came and beat them, so they didn't so want they, us. But then if we lose, they were like, "Oh, they're not good enough. We beat them." So that yeah, so that was a whole nother thing. So I had actually took my highlight tape. The only highlight tape that I have from overseas is from that area, and I took that highlight tape and I did self uh, promotion. Yeah, pretty oh, wow. much. And I contacted a lot of people on Facebook, and I wound up linking up with this girl who linked up with a guy, and I got a contract in Montenegro and went there for six seven months. Wow, so you were super, and this idea that basketball, like basketball was what was driving you. Yeah. Like you just thoroughly yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. It was like, that's all you wanted to do kind of all, all day. It's all I knew how to do really yeah. good, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. I knew how to play. And, and did you feel like basketball was the ticket for you? Like that was your way to live, like to be in life, right? Like yeah, that was well, the way you my were goal make was money. to play overseas for like 10, 15 years, as long as I could play. Mm-hmm. And then with that money, go back to Manassas or Centerville and open up whatever they needed. I was, I yeah. wanted to say a soul food place, like a soul food restaurant, <laughs> yeah. but I was like, let's be realistic. Let's open up whatever that area needs so yeah. it'll be successful. Right. And that was my plan. But then I had two girls and I was like, oh, time uh. to be dad. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about, um, was it Macedonia? Is that where you were for the, you said nine months? How long was it? No, uh, so I was in Montenegro for six to seven months. And then Macedonia was the last spot I went to. And I went there for like three months. Okay. And then um, how was that experience? In Macedonia? Just, yeah. So I I loved it. I had a two bedroom apartment to myself. It was on like the top floor. I had to take an elevator. Then I had to take another flight of stairs. (laughs) It was great. It was, I really felt like really like a king there. It was nice. Um, it was in a city because Montenegro was a town and it yeah. was like really like real countryside. Okay. Now Macedonia is like a capital of, uh, of uh, well, I was in, uh, I can't say the words, yeah. spoil or something. I was in the capital of Macedonia. Okay. So I was in a big, big city. And um, so I was, I was enjoying my teammates, learning my teammates, and they all come to my apartment and they invite me out. And this is like another teaching moment for mm-hmm. me because like, okay, so I go out with them thinking that the coach is like telling them to come get me, show me the city. So I right. want to stay and play for them, right? So we go to the bar and overseas, they, they party a little bit different than we do. So we're at the bar and we're there till like 12, one o'clock. And I'm like, okay, we're just going to do this bar and then go home, right? And they're like, you ready to go to the club? And I'm like, it's 12, one o'clock. And they're like, yeah, it just opened. Let's go. 
I'm like, it just opened? So like we get there, we're the first few people in the club. At, like it literally just opened and it's yeah. one in the morning. I'm like yawning, you know what I mean? I'm tired. So we're partying, we're having a good time, we're drinking a little bit. Next day, the coach calls me in the office the next morning and he's like, yeah, so I heard you had a good time last night. He's talking like in Serbian kind of sort of, so I'm barely understanding what he's saying. But he's like, I heard you went out and drank, drank last night. And I was like, yeah, the guys came and got me and we went out. And he was like, so you drink? And I was like, not really, but yeah. And I really don't drink at all. But I went out with them and they're like buying me drinks and I'm assuming that we're supposed to be drinking, you know? I'm trying to do what the culture does, you know? So he's like, yeah, that's not good. You, why, why you go out late last night to the club and drank oh, all night? Geez. And I'm like, they came and got me. I thought that's what I was like supposed to do. Like you believed in their, like they were so being genuine. So come to find out the guy that I was coming for his spot was the one that told the coach. The players told me that he didn't like me and because I was coming for his spot. So yeah, I really felt like I got set up. And yeah. Yeah. That's a hard lesson to learn. It is, it is. I think in life we all have situations where we get worked a bit mm -hmm. and I think depending on your nature and your makeup you may be more susceptible to that yeah and then how do you recover so that you're not jaded and completely paranoid after yeah. that that everyone's out to get you yeah it's a hard one and like how do you be cautious and a little bit more thoughtful yeah about, especially well, in that I had looked at it space. like I need to be professional at all times ah. I'm over here doing a professional deed I need to yeah. be professional at all times so I just looked at it like, yeah, they're home. They can be home and party and do whatever they want. I'm not home. I'm here on a reason, for a reason. I need to be focused at all times. So I took at it, I looked at great, it like that. That's a you great lesson. I mean? I'm here on a job. So what was that, or like, what was that first practice like when, when the coach came to you, asked, like, oh, what, what did you so, do last night? So I'm night? sitting there yeah. like, pissed off i'm mad like i'm really because i'm like you guys came and got me you guys like made it seem like you guys wanted to show me the city and then the whole time you guys ran back to the coach and said everything that happened that night you know what i mean and of course like i'm the only black guy in town so i got all these girls in my face like wanting to know who i am where i came from you know what i mean attention. like we're having a great time and and they all just that one guy went back so i'm in practice livid but I'm like, I should have known. You was know it like I mean? kind of an internal anger? Or yeah, like, were you yeah. just like being passive aggressive towards your teammate? No, no, I, I kept it in, I kept it in. Uh, I figured that it was my fault. Uh, I, I should have been like, I should have been like, you should have known better. You know what I mean? Like it was a setup, you should have saw that. So I really wasn't mad at him. I was okay. more mad at myself like, you let your guard down and showed like your true colors and they just like it was like ran back and told the coach like who you really are you know what i mean and it's like that's not who i really was anyway but so that's why i took it like it's my fault because i showed them a person that i'm not even i am you, you know, know what's what I mean? so interesting about that I, I think that as humans we have a propensity to just ju to justify our behavior anyway and when you're in that situation the harder path was to be true to you and the harder path was to be the professional and the harder path is to say thank you so much for the invite but I actually just I need to get some sleep or whatever that yeah. is and I think there's so many pulls socially yeah. um, peer driven you know that happens to people and so listening to that inner voice and really being true to yourself is so important and yeah. i love what you said about i was there to do a job and i think yeah. regardless of where you are in your station in life 
there's a seriousness and a focus that you need to have in order to accomplish what you want. Yeah. You can still have a good time and you can still be around people that you like and you can still have fun, but figuring out what am I serious about and what is my focus and how am I going to achieve that, that starts early. And it should start early. Like you yeah. said, you had set this goal. I, I really wonder for you if you had set other goals, you probably would have made those goals. Yeah. It's just kind yeah, of whatever possibly. you tell yourself, right? Possibly, yeah. Um, you had said something too, just you had mentioned this um, when we were talking earlier, but in terms of being the only you know black man in the city and you're so tall, you're so, <laughs> in terms of like, you said you had run into some racist situation. Yeah, so I'm in Montenegro yeah. and uh, I got my Dre beats on. I'm listening to music because everybody speaks Serbian. My head coach spoke full Serbian, not a lick of English. I had to talk to his 16-year-old son to communicate. Wow. So I'm in like movie settings where he's like talking, talking, talking. I'm just standing there and I'm like, all right, so what do you say? What play he ran? You yeah. know what I mean? What play are we running? And it was like literally like that. So. So uh, I wore my Dre beats every day. I listen to music every day. You know what I mean? So I'm walking downtown and there's a group of kids and they're like high schoolers, maybe maybe a little older, but right around that age, right? And uh, they waved me down and waved me down. And uh, the like the main guy, you could tell he's like the most attractive kid. You know what I mean? You could tell he's the he's, cool, he's, he's the, the main guy, he's right? The king, king so of the he, he waves me down and he goes, what's up my nigga and i was like oh and i just was like oh man and it like i i felt some type of way inside but i knew if i turn around and beat this kid up like every every male in the whole city is gonna come out and kill me like they're not gonna beat me up they're gonna kill me you know so like i didn't really want to fight him but i was just like wow like he has no idea like how wrong that is you know and that's more so the look at the how i looked at it i was like because i've already been told like they only know stuff they see on TV. Right. You know what I mean? Right. They only go by music. They only go by TVs or movies or internet. So I knew that already. So what it was, was it was really hard to just bring it, like, keep it inside. But I had already knew that. So I knew he wasn't, he was just doing it for, to be cool around his friends. Right. And I knew he didn't really know that that was mean and nasty. So I just kind of bottled it in. But it was pretty hard. It was pretty hard. Have you... And I know you asked the question too. Like, what year? You know, what year was this? Two thousand fourteen. Okay. Yeah. And were you? Um, had you experienced anything like that prior in terms of? Not really. Being... I mean, I experienced all that there. To be honest, one time I was playing AAU in West Virginia University, and I'm walking with like three other black guys, all as big as me, and a big white truck goes by, a bunch of white guys in the back. They're like, nigga. And then we took off running back to the hotel. That was the only other time, but I mean, I figured West Virginia, you know, <laughs> like not, not the same thing about West Virginia, but we kind of knew that that was possible, you know? Right. So, right. I mean, that's the only other time. But other than that, Montenegro was a real culture shock. Cause I mean, I'm walking down the street and everybody, for some reason, every copy shop was just windows, just nothing mm -hmm. but windows. And yeah. everybody is like, like turning you're the their circus head. Like, act, like, yeah. Right? Like I was yeah. a unicorn. Every time I walked down the street, that's how I felt like a unicorn. How did you, handle that like does that it was kind of cool i was gonna say it is that was, all negative all or bad. Is, yeah right. it wasn't all bad i mean it was cool to be like a celebrity you know right. what i mean so that's kind of how i looked at it you know um but like it was to the point where people wanted to touch my hair you know like, like you it were, was like yeah, yeah like i was a science experiment so like it was kind of like that too but i mean i just took it like they had never seen a black guy before so yeah you know what a black guy was like you know like to advertise with Relatable,
please email us at info at tfasoftskills.com for more information. I think you're, as you're talking, what I'm, I'm just, um, that I find really cool, but also just it's such a unique nature of you, which is you seem to have this ability in these moments that you've described to sort of back up and have an outside looking in perspective. You have to. And you've been able to to manage some of that conflict internally. And I think that's something, especially, I mean, I, you know, I don't have science to back this up, but I think with men generally, that's hard to do. Oh yeah. And I also think given your background and sensitivities, that would be hard to do. And the fact that you've been able to step outside that moment and be the bigger person. Yeah. How do you think you cultivated that? Have you always been like that, or is that something that you consciously built? I think I've, all, I've somewhat always been like that. Yeah. Um, I've always felt bad for the less unfortunate, even though I, to me, myself was less unfortunate. I've lived in a house with roaches and mice. I've lived like off of syrup sandwiches at one point when I was like really, really younger. Like this is yeah. like elementary school. I've been there, done that in like a poor setting, but still had to go to schools with like, kids like that are pretty, because Fairfax County is yeah. pretty nice county. You know yeah. what I mean? We got money around here. Right. So it was pretty hard to do that. So I think I I learned how to cope with it at a very young age, but I've always felt some type of way for even people with less wow. than that. Like, like I've always felt a special spot for a special needs kid. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, it's not fair to right. me that they don't get an opportunity to play varsity basketball or right. you know what I mean? Varsity soccer or field hockey or whatever the case may be. They don't. They have to struggle with their so uh, special needs for the rest of their life. So it's like, I get this great opportunity to be whatever I want to be in life, and they don't. So I've always felt like it could be worse. Yeah. No. You know? I, did you want to ask? No. Yeah, I think that's so true. I feel like there's been a lot right lately about. Um, mindfulness and meditation and gratitude and being like when you're in that headspace of being grateful for what you have it comes back tenfold and i think what you're describing um is just for me too like personally just the more grateful i am for everything that you have the more you give back you know the more that you start to recognize what other people need and i think for for young people sometimes it's hard you're kind of in your head a lot and you don't have a lot of experience to navigate that but just i think you as an example and hopefully people listening will take some of that in because i think being that bigger person stepping back looking at the bigger picture that can really help you and it can help you you know reach higher goals and it can help you get to where you want to go yeah um so speaking of that i think it's a good transition to sort of your you know your coaching role now in terms of just the fact that you love helping people and you have this insight to really wanting to um, drive and help others. So I, I think um, my listeners would be upset if I didn't ask you some questions about being a coach. And you know, if we do have a lot of young listeners that are interested in basketball, maybe talk a little bit about um, how they can best prepare themselves and what kind of attributes you look for. So um, if you think about your um, co- coaching and transitioning to coaching, um, tell us a little bit about your first year and what that experience was like. Okay, so uh, as a head coach or yeah. assistant? Because yeah. last year I was an assistant. Oh, well, both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, in high school, I knew I was always going to come back to Centerville and be a coach. Okay. When I was done playing basketball. I didn't know it was going to be this fast, to be honest. I right. thought I was going to play for a lot longer, but that's fine. Uh, I love every bit of it. Uh, it's hard, though. 
Um, as an assistant coach uh, last year, I was with the JV squad and I was under a great coach, Coach Hatchett. He actually went to Heritage to be the varsity head coach there. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I didn't have too many um, uh, goals or I didn't have too many, uh, what am I trying to think? I didn't have too many- uh, Expectations? Not expectations. I didn't have too many, um, like it wasn't on me. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word. Like it wasn't, I didn't have too many- um, Responsibilities. Responsibilities. Yeah. I didn't have anything to do. You were I just, was just there like, supporting. Yeah, like I was just there. <laughs> I was a great, helpful yeah. second man to him. He would ask me questions or ideas and I'd be like, yeah, that works. Yeah, that works. But I didn't have to come up with nothing. No game plan, no mm -hmm. practice plan, no nothing. I didn't have to wash the clothes. I didn't have to worry about the clothes being there. As a head coach, you have to do all of that. Mm -hmm. And that was a big, change for you a big shock a big shock i have to wash all the clothes i have to make sure all 14 kids are on the bus i have to make sure all 14 kids are off the bus i have to make sure all 14 have all their clothes right um i have to come up with a practice plan and i mean not just like we're gonna run three on three and we're gonna work on our plays we have to like my practice plan is we start at 3 30 i have to write warm up from 3 30 to 3 35 305 to 310 we're doing layup line 310 to 315 we're doing something else so i like literally did that every day um, I loved it. Uh, you have your managers, you have your assistant coach, and you really do need to use them. Um, they're great help. But it was just, it was hard. It was a lot. It's not about just plays. Right. And did you find, like you had mentioned too, just like the administrative aspect of it, all those things that you mentioned, sort of those are the logistics and it's not actually like on the court no. <laughs> playing the games, right? And then or, you have 14 minds that you have to worry about. Yeah. And all 14 minds are different. And some are better than others. Uh, some skills are better than others. Uh, yeah. Some skills you can't teach a kid because he thinks he's already good. Some kids don't have no skills, so you can teach them everything you know, and they'll gain and be a sponge and take all of that in. Um, some kids are good, but it's just mentally you have to tell them, hey, don't get down on yourself. Pick yourself up. It's so much more to coaching than just running plays. Um, so Malachi, maybe you could talk a little bit about as a coach, uh, what are some of the attributes and skills that you look for? I think everyone um, or a lot of people that are listening to this, they would be anxious about making that freshman basketball team. So what are the, some of the things um, that you look for? And you had talked previously just about uh, having 14 different kids and all different ways of operating like some are more intellectual about it some are more physical the talent they're coachable so if you had to pick three top three things uh in terms of attributes what do you look for okay so the first one would definitely be talent um you gotta pick the guys that actually are good at basketball right. you, know? you want to be a good right. team so I, I would definitely pick talent is the number one thing um but second would be attitude um what i mean by attitude is if the kid's getting super upset after the first hard foul or something and he's ready to fight, he might be a hot hit. He mm -hmm. might not be good for a team. Because, I mean, basketball is not an individual sport. It's a team thing. So you have to pick guys that are going to come together and work together. If you have a guy that's super individual, he's not going to work out on a team. Yeah. So attitude is definitely second. And then coachable. You have to be able to get guys that want to play basketball, want to get better, not just want to play basketball. you guys got to get guys that want to get better and guys that are going to soak it up like a sponge, mm -hmm. guys that are paying attention at every waking moment. I had a guy that wasn't that good at basketball. He was a, definitely a lacrosse player, um, but he came in. He was pretty tall, so that helped. Mm -hmm. It helps to be tall in basketball. But uh, he came in, and he, he every time he get the ball, he would travel. He just didn't know how to play basketball, but he was a sponge. Everything that I wow. told him, he soaked it up. And by the end of the year, he was one of our best players just because he listened and tried so hard. When we would go to practice, um, I would have I would uh, do a thing called shooting, uh, partner shooting. Mm -hmm. And that was, 
that was because my kids would get there at three o'clock and practice didn't start till three thirty. So I had to give them something until <laughs> practice started because this is all my kids. They were they're, ready to go. They love as, it. As soon as they they love practice and that which was really strange to me, but <laughs> it is. But uh, I had the kid and he would mm-hmm. he would be in there working on post moves instead of just shooting, having fun like everybody else was. He was working on skills that would make him better in the game. Wow. The whole season. So just super dedicated super and dedicated. also wanted to get better. Really wanted to get better. And when you truly want to get better at your craft, you will. Yeah. And that's what he did. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think you asked, uh, I think you asked what, um, you had talked a lot about that you got some good feedback as a coach. Yeah. And so one of the questions is just what were the, what was the mechanism for that feedback? But then also this kind of parent coach relationship, because I think it can be dicey, um, you know, I've seen a lot of experiences where parents behave horribly in <laughs> sporting situations. Yeah. And I think when high school so comes... I had, I had yeah. both. I had the bad yeah. parents. I had two parents that were giving me a hard time throughout the whole year. Mm. Um, and then I had the really appreciative parents that I didn't even play their kid, but they were really appreciative of me helping their kid out in other aspects of life. Uh, I had one kid that would get in not big trouble, but his teachers actually came up and said something to me about him. So I addressed it with him, and then his mother later called me, told me about the situation, and was really thrilled that I helped him out. And mm. she really felt like I changed his life by giving him a few words of advice. So I had really positive feedback on that. Um, I, I made uh, friends with other parents who had maybe a female on the varsity mm-hmm. team, and she knew a lot of the parents that I had. And she would tell me that she heard nothing but positive feedback from them. So the overall general feedback that I got from parents was really, really good. And I made a lot of strong connections with parents talking to them, whether their kid played or not. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of good conversations and, and connections with parents about just life situations. Right, right. So, I mean, I think I overall had a good yeah. feedback from the parents and did a good job on that. And I think it's so great to have, like you had mentioned this, uh, but that it's not, you're not just basketball, right? You're more than just that. And so yeah. being able to develop relationships with people that are on a different level or have to do with different things. So, you know, you and I have had a relationship, I think, just based on similar interests and yeah. um, talking through some of your, you know, the challenges and the diversity that you face. So I think um, I think it's such a great opportunity. Um, and I know the kids, at least, you know, I know Luke had a great experience and talked very favorably about you and the experience. So I think there's only great things to come as you progress yeah. and get more experience as coach. And these aren't my starters that are saying this. These are yeah. my, my, my so, so I don't want to call them right. this, but these are my guys that are on the bench. Like, yeah. Not getting as much playing time as I would like them to get or they would like to get. Right. And they're still positive, happy, you know, yeah. trying to learn, trying to get better as a player and a person. You know, I do think that's product too of just you don't you can't take a lot of people, and so yeah, I think each of those people here, you took a few, yeah. But even that to be a kid that made fourteen out of thirty, like that gives you a sense of confidence. Even if you're maybe not playing every game, you're yeah. like I made it, right? Yeah. And that that can give you a lot of confidence, yeah. and that can help with your positive self talk. Yeah. So yeah. I think what sounds amazing to me is that they really recognized the experience and the opportunity they were being offered and they were positive about that. And they also seemed so like supportive of each other. Yeah. They seemed super. Yeah. Really close uh, knit family. Um, It didn't really seem like I had small clicks, which can happen in basketball. You can get three or four guys that only want to hang out with those three or four guys. Um, So that, that really helped. It was a big one, big family. Yeah. Um, we had a group chat and it was jokes and jokes <laughs> yeah. in the group chat and we would talk about like practice and 
I always had one kid that would always ask, "When's the where's the game at? What time's the game?" And it would never change. Yeah, you just like for Subway, and it would never. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. A lot of fun times, and I I'm pretty sad that I only get them for one year, but hopefully I made an impact on their life and helped them out in some way, whether it was basketball or just personal being a better person. And yeah. the fact that you're um, just at the beginning of this, like I would love for us to talk again in a couple of years too, yeah. just to yeah. see how you, you're maturing in your role as a coach and also uh, what you're seeing in terms of the kids and how they're they're progressing. You know? Yeah, and God willing, I'll be the varsity head coach someday. I yeah. told him in my interview when goal. I went, I was like, I'm here until it. you kick me out. Yeah. Uh, and he said, well, I'm going to be head coach until they kick me out or my son gets <laughs> through high school. Yeah. And his son's about to be a seventh grader. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm ready to sit here for 10 years and then finally be varsity yeah. head coach. Like I'm, I'm not in no rush, but I want to stay until they kick me out. So yeah. hopefully that'll, that'll happen. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, so I think um, before we wrap up, I um, I usually or I try to ask people because right now our working title for this podcast is called Getting Real mm-hmm. because it's really about the real truth, as I said, dispelling this, kind of getting at the real good stuff. Yeah. And so for you, when you think about all of your experiences and maybe it was like high school or college, then maybe it was one of the stories you've already shared, but when did you have a moment where you were like, man this is getting real, right? In terms of your life, like where you really sort of had it all kind of this moment of like, this stuff is getting real and I need to kind of pay attention. Yeah, um, I would probably say maybe my freshman year in college when I was really on my own. Cause as soon as you go to college, you're on your own. Like as soon as you get in your dorm room or your apartment, there's no mom and dad. Right. Nobody will wake you up in the morning and tell you, hey, you gotta get to class. You don't have to go. Your teachers, your professors will tell you you don't have to go. And that's really like a culture. That's really a shock because you're like, you have to get yourself up. You have to be an adult. And from the time you graduate in high school to the time you go to college is really short. It's not the same. You know what I mean? You're out the door right after you graduate. So I don't know if a lot of kids are ready for that, but you really have to grow up from Mm -hmm. that time period. And Mm -hmm. I was sitting in my apartment like, I am this is all on me like I don't have nobody to help me this is all on me I have to get up in the morning and go to class I have to get home and go to sleep on a good time to be able to wake up and go to class again like you don't have nobody there to help you at all right so I think that's when it got real when I went to college yeah yeah if you approach everything with positivity if you approach everything with I'll take care of that I'll get that done those are the people that excel. Those are the people that get opportunities. Those are the people that make a good impression. If you're too good to do X and your experience is limited to make that call, right? And I do think what I've seen professionally in the last, you know, five, 10 years, and even longer, the sense of like, I'm too good for that. I've got this college education. I don't need to do X. I think it really is holding people back. So the fact that like, whether it's out of the goodness of your own heart or it's just out of living intentionally, like I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to be able to, because in order to do something more advanced, it helps to have the background that you've done something less than, right? Or something that you might in your own way see as administrative. And it seems like just in your coaching job you were talking about, there's all these things that you have to do that really aren't actually you interacting with the kids or playing with the kids or getting them ready for a game. And those are all important components. Yeah. Um, that you have to sort of be positive about and try to get into. Yeah. So it all has value. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love it. I love yeah. every bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to be a good person. In life, you have to be a good person. In life, you have to look at the glass um, half full. Yes. You know what I mean? Instead of half empty. Yes. And that's how I approach life. I always do that. You got to be positive. You got to be happy. Because if you're negative and nasty, you're not going to get anywhere. And know? just from, I know you want to say something really quick, just from yeah. everything you shared, like you could easily be a half empty person, right? Mm -hmm. And you could have been the victim. You've talked about some pretty significant moments and scary moments. And mm -hmm. so that mental capacity to say, I'm not going to be defined by this. There's a lot of people that would say, I'm going to be a victim and this is who I am. And, and similar to how you thought about yourself in high school, right? Like I'm only as good as um, being in an LD program. Like yeah. I'm not beyond that. And yeah. I think you've proven yourself over and over that you are. Yeah. And that's that headspace. Yeah. And how powerful that is. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Yeah, I've really appreciated. You're so honest in your candor. And yeah. I believe that, I really believe that people uh, will learn a lot from your experiences. I and hope so. I thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you for having me. Thank you again for listening and thank you again to Malachi. What a wonderful interview. So appreciate his honesty and just being so forthcoming with his story. A special thanks to Pat Rillo, the producer of this episode. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and rate Relatable on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable.